everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, our podcast at BFW, where we hit on all the latest news and topics of the week. And as always, this week presented the BFW community with a lot to talk about. Bayern Munich has, uh, one, uh, set the fans off in a good way for the international break with a 4-0 victory over Union Berlin. But also there were some encouraging stories from a management standpoint regarding Bayern Munich and also some perhaps troubling transfer stories. So what we will do is hit on all of those topics. Of course, we will use our format of of the five things that we learned this week. And let's dive right into it because there are some huge things going on. And the first thing that we'll hit on is... Uh, We learned that Bayern Munich uh, could really pull it together right before the international break as the team secured that 4-0 victory over Union Berlin. Uh, What we learned uh, from Bayern Munich in that match is that for all the scuffling and all the worrying that people did about the formation and the personnel is that when Bayern Munich wants to, they can still turn it on and take a game over with their offense. And we know that there are (laughs) absolutely... Some people questioning whether this offensive heavy attack of Julian Nagelsmann can work in the long run as he prepares to get this team ready for the Champions League and the Bundesliga stretch run. Uh, Byron, of course, has just so much offensive talent that Nagelsmann is trying to find trying to find a way to make it all work within his own preferred back three system. So, uh, yes, it was an excellent. Uh, way to end uh, the that session of the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich, but also set the team off in a good way for the international break. And the international break itself kind of maybe set Bayern up for a couple of lucky things. First, we saw Joshua Kimmich unable to attend Germany camp because of the birth of another child. Of course, we know Kimmich is uh, assembling his own army of children, many Kimmichs who will undoubtedly take over the Uh, German football landscape in the future. So congrats to Kimmich as he is awaiting the birth of another child, at least as of the time of this recording. Uh, Benjamin Pavar had to skip the France camp with his own dealings with COVID-19. So uh, in a way to get him some extra rest, which is something that we know Pavar really does need. He needs to be at 100% health to give his best performances. It, It kind of was a blessing in disguise for him to be able to have this extra time or to not be able to attend the France camp. And uh, it will really set him up nicely to get his legs back and get 100% healthy. Of course, Serge Gnabry left Germany's camp with cold-like symptoms. So Serge will also get some extra rest. Uh, While it's great to see the Bayern Munich players uh, performing for their countries and contributing to their country's respective World Cup efforts, Uh, It's also good for some of these Bayern players to get some extra rest. Of course, we know that uh, Leon Goretzka also uh, was held out because of his knee injuries or knee issues. So Bayern has some players right now that are recovering. And in a weird way, this break comes at a great time because Nicholas Sula is getting back to health. As we mentioned, uh, Benjamin Pavar is working his way back to health. Alfonso Davies is working his way to getting uh, over his bout with myocarditis uh, following COVID-19. So all of these players that have had some issues over the past few weeks or months are now really starting to get healthy. And that could be a very dangerous thing for Bayern Munich uh, as, as they head into this very important stretch run of the season. 
to be able to get players like Sula, Davies, Goretzka, and Pavar all back to health uh, should be a great thing for Julian Nagelsmann and the squad. So what we learned this week is this international break could not have come at a better time for Bayern Munich. Uh, another thing that we learned this week, and this was one that I've kind of been harping on for weeks now, is that Bayern Munich CEO Oliver Kahn is taking a more hands-on approach with his star player negotiations, which is an excellent thing because if you've listened to me in the past, I've been worried about this disconnect between Bayern Munich's front office and its players. And I appreciate what Khan wanted to do when he took over as CEO. A lot of CEOs want to focus on what's beyond the normal day-to-day. And I think that's what Khan had originally set out to do. Uh, he had put out, put forth an initiative to lead Bayern Munich into the future. And what we know about initiatives like that, if you've ever worked in the corporate world, is it's it's great to look at. It is good motivation for employees. It does help the overall morale of a company or an organization. But the people doing the day-to-day work that are tasked with not just powering those efforts, but powering the day-to-day for any organization or company, it doesn't mean a whole lot. So while you have these great pie-in-the-sky ideas and views of what Bayern Munich could be or where it's going, you have to remember the people powering the organization are the players. And if those players don't feel appreciated, if those players feel disrespected because of a disconnect between the front office and themselves, it does not create the kind of morale that you think you're building with these grand plans of Byron beyond or whatever it was called. Right? So what I think we've learned throughout this week is that Khan is starting to recognize that he can't just be the type of CEO that is not hands-on with his workers. He needs to be present. He needs to show his face. And the most encouraging thing for me is that it was specifically referenced that he wants to meet some of these players like Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer, maybe even Serge Gnabry, if he's included in that mix, just for a cup of coffee to talk about what the club sees in them, how much the club wants to retain them right? Like that's important. And it might not seem like a lot, but even a cup of coffee or sitting over a beer really can solve a lot of problems when it comes to people feeling underappreciated or disrespected. Two terms that have been used to describe how the Bayern front office has made its players feel. So with that, I think, you know, in my opinion, anyway, most of the world's problems can be solved over a cup of coffee or over a pint of beer, to be honest with you. Uh, And I'm glad that Khan is taking this step. And I do appreciate that, you know, he's taken these business courses at Harvard. He has, you know, built up a great reputation. He has gained some experience in watching Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Uli Honus run the club. But what I think Khan missed over his first months in office here is that he needed to be more of a football man before a businessman first. And I think that that's what has been missing, uh, especially in terms of how the players feel with regard to how they're treated by the front office. So I think that Khan making this leap, acknowledging that maybe he needs to change and evolve himself and and take a management style that's going to put him more hands-on with his players. I think that can only help things. I think it will go a long way in retaining the services of players like Mueller 
and Neuer and Lewandowski, and maybe even Gnabry. Uh, with Lewandowski, that's been the tricky one. It seems like everything has worked out for Mueller and Neuer. It's just a, a formality of sorts where they need to, to go through, work out numbers, the length of the contract, and just get the deal done. With Lewandowski, it's, it's infinitely more complicated. You have Pini Zahavi out working his magic in the transfer market. We've seen Barca, Liverpool, Real Madrid, PSG. They've all been linked to Lewandowski of late. And that doesn't even include Chelsea in their mess of a situation and, and perhaps their, what their involvement could be. We've seen Manchester United, Manchester City also linked to Lewandowski. So whatever Khan needs to do at this point, he's going to have to reestablish, reestablish this relationship with Lewandowski. And, you know, one of the, the minor parts of, of this story was that, that Khan was a big fan of Erling Holland and who isn't and part of the reason that maybe Bayern Munich has has not been in, as engaged with Lewandowski as Lewandowski would like is because Bayern was kind of waiting it out and seeing if seeing how this whole situation with Holland evolved would they be a player for Holland would the finances become a, a too big of an obstacle for Bayern to overcome these were all things that I'm sure Bayern was looking at as they pondered whether to make an offer to Holland to uh, retain Lewandowski or to somehow find a way to make it work with both. Uh, <laughs> obviously that's the pie in the sky view on things and maybe it would work and maybe it wouldn't. But I think that this whole process has been a learning experience for Oliver Kahn. And I think that he has needed to go through this to get to a point to remember who is powering the organization who is going to drive Bayern Munich into the future? And of course, it's going to be the players like Lewandowski and Thomas Muller and, and Manuel Neuer. They need to retain those types of players to help those youngsters be able to bridge that gap and become the next generation of stars to lead Bayern Munich. And, and while you might have Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka and Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman as all players ready to step up and assume the mantle there, there are some reasons to think that the gap overall and how this team has been put together might be too great for just a simple passing of the torch, right? They're going to need to bolster the defense. They're going to need to, to look at ways to maximize the youth system and continue to bring in players like Paul Bonner, Gabriel Vitovich, players that are going to be able to help build the club from within. And, um, you know, I think the club is making a lot of good steps. I think this was a great step by Khan in terms of recognizing where he needed to improve. And I think things are actually headed in the right direction on this front. Where it all ends up with Lewandowski, I don't know. Uh, but that's what we'll talk about next. The, the third thing that we learned this week was that Robert Lewandowski is absolutely drawing interest on the transfer market. And two of the clubs that were referenced this week uh, could be very attractive to Lewandowski. First, FC Barcelona is reportedly ready to empty its coffers to bring him in. And, and Barca needs a player like Lewandowski to be at the forefront of their attack. Since losing Lionel Messi, uh, Barca's attack is not awful, but it doesn't have that leader. It doesn't have that one player that the team can go to when it needs a goal or that it can look to consistently for a goal. Now we have seen Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang start to maybe evolve into that type of player, but he's clearly not at the level of Lewandowski. 
And with Barca, it's more of a rebuilding of not just their club, but their whole aura, right? Like, so they took a big step in, in smacking Real Madrid last weekend in El Clasico, um, which, you know, I, I don't know if anybody expected that type of result, but it was big for Barca. So this is a club looking to rebound, to get back on track, to reestablish itself as one of the powers in European football. And while its reputation will never probably see it leave that realm, the actual reality of what's going on on the field has been a little bit different. So adding a player like Lewandowski would absolutely be the type of push that Barca needs to, to get back into that echelon of clubs that can, can really compete for a Champions League title. As for the other suitor this week, and this one was really interesting to me, is that Liverpool is reportedly, and you know who knows if it's true or not, readying an offer to Lewandowski, uh, where it would pay Bayern Munich upwards of 70 million euros. So that's extremely interesting. We all know about Lewandowski's uh, connection to Jurgen Klopp and what that might mean in terms of uh, bringing him in, but the platform that the EPL offers is something that no other league can match in terms of visibility, uh, audience, uh, just in general, the exposure that Lewandowski would get. And, and with that, I think that he's going to start looking at something like that. And while we've seen reports that he doesn't necessarily want to play in England, uh, it could happen just because this is a guy who's so goal-oriented and driven that, one, I'm sure there's a part of him that wants to prove all of his doubters wrong, that he can do it on the biggest stage. And the biggest stage in terms of domestic leagues is the EPL. I also think that Lewandowski really wants that Ballon d'Or. And the only way it seems like he's going to get that is if he goes to the, the Premier League or La Liga and, and does it at such a rate and performs at such a rate that he's going to be able to not be denied the opportunity to get that trophy. And I think that's one thing that, that could be driving him. While in the end, I do think he wants to remain with Bayern Munich. There's got to be a part of him, someone so driven who is, who was overcome so much and fought to get where he is that he wants that one last thing, right? So he's already proven himself as a world star. He's already won numerous awards. He's won the champions league. He's won a million Bundesliga titles at this point. It feels like to go to England, to prove himself, especially at a club like Liverpool, that's pretty much ready-made and set up to be able to compete in the premier league for at least the next two to three years. Uh, I think that would be something that would be attractive to him. Is Liverpool able to provide him the type of salary that he wants? Probably. I'm sure that they could probably pay him more than what Bayern Munich is going to be able to offer. And now that he reportedly wants more than 25, 25 million euro per season, it could be something that becomes even more intriguing to Lewandowski. So touching back to our last point, Oliver Kahn might want to get his hands on Lewandowski a little bit quicker at this point because some of these options that are out there are going to be ones that Lewandowski is going to have to consider because that's just the type of person he is. He's driven. He's insanely driven and he wants to succeed. And he, I believe he wants to go after that Ballon d'Or and one surefire way to get it is to go to a club like Liverpool to dominate, to uh, lead the premier league in scoring and to potentially win a champions league title with Liverpool. So 
Let's keep our eye on that one because that could be something that really does intrigue the Polish hitman moving forward. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that, well, this is something we've touched on a million times in the past. Marcel Sabitzer might be considering moving away from Bayern Munich. And yes, this is one of the fears I had in making this move from the beginning. Could Marcel Sabitzer adapt to life at Bayern Munich? Could he adapt to being a backup? The answer clearly is no. Okay. Um, And now it seems like he's gotten to the point where he's recognized this and he might be looking to move on. So there's a lot of different aspects of this story. And there was actually some conflicting information that we've seen. The initial report that we saw from Sport Build indicated that there was a communication breakdown between Sabitzer and Nagelsmann. Sport 1 kind of lightly refuted that and said that the two do have an open line of communication and talk regularly. Okay. So he said, she said on that, we can kind of just throw that out the window and assume that they have some type of working relationship. But Sabitzer is also seeing himself passed over on the depth chart at this point. And this is really key if you, if you ask me. So not only does he have players like Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka ahead of him in those six and eight positions, uh, you know, when looking at the 10, if you want to consider his ability to play up there, you have Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman. And then you also have ahead of him at both of the, I guess I should say all three of those spots, or four if you look at Byron's formation, you have Jamal Musiala as well. Now we know that Nagelsmann wants to play Musiala more as a central midfielder than as, a, than as an attacker, which right now it seems like he has usurped that third midfielder position from Sabitzer. So if you look at things with Musiala now ahead of him and with Bayern Munich so closely linked to Ajax's Ryan Gravenberch right now, it's tough to see how Sabitzer, one, is feeling wanted, one, is two, is feeling needed, and three, really sees a future at the club. If I am Sabitzer and I'm at this point in my career where I'm an established player, I'm someone that should be in a starting 11 at this stage of my career, I would just put forth just an excellent, uh, you know, portfolio of work for RB Leipzig. I would think that I would want to be in a position to compete for playing time, at least. And it doesn't even appear like he's going to be able to do that at Bayern Munich. There's just too much of a volume on the roster of players that can play at those positions. And it's really not even including players like Mark Roca and Quentin Tolisso, who are likely to leave the club this summer, even if they do leave. I mean, Sabitzer is at best fourth in that central midfield slot behind Kimmich Goretzka and Musiala. And it doesn't also doesn't include what happens if the club actually does sign Graven Birch, who uh, we'll touch on that later, but I'm not so thrilled about that idea either. But anyway, Sabitzer has, uh, he's kind of evaluated all this in his head, it seems, and he's now open reportedly to leaving. And as far as Bayern Munich goes, it doesn't seem like they're really going to fight it. And the latest reports we saw indicate that if Bayern Munich gets an offer of 15 million euro or so for Sabitzer, they would be willing to sell him, which would represent a little bit of a loss. But one, I think the club is willing to take just because it would clear Sabitzer's salary off their books. So this is very interesting, right? And going all the way back to the acquisition, we, I personally have harped on this that, you know, I didn't know if he could make this this transition to playing at Bayern Munich and being a backup. Like I said, clearly he cannot. Now I think we're seeing that his form is dipped, his confidence is dipped, 
And he is realizing this might not be the best thing for his career. And I think it's all really attractive at first when you want to go out and you want to win trophies and you want to experience what it's like to, to celebrate winning a Bundesliga to potentially win a Champions League. And, and listen, if Bayern makes it that far and they do achieve that goal, then I would say no matter what happens with Sabitzer on the field, then it was worth it in terms of making that move for him. From the club standpoint, Sabitzer hasn't really offered them anything other than versatility. They've been able to plug him in the positions when they've had no one else. So we remember his really uneventful performances as a left back, but he was able to fill that role and give Julian Nagelsmann what he needed, at least on a short-term basis. We've seen the idea toyed around with Sabitzer playing a little bit of wing when Byron plays a back four. Uh, he's you know floated at different, at different times playing between the 10, 6, and 8. Definitely, in my opinion, more of an eight in this formation if, if Nagelsmann sticks with the back three. But I could also see him playing alongside Thomas Moore as one of those tens. Uh, right now, though, it just seems like he is the odd man out at just about every position. And with, with Musiala's emergence, with Byron's rumored uh, pursuit of Graven Birch nearly or supposedly nearly coming to a point where they could procure him relatively soon. I think if that happens, then Sabitzer's out. And like I said, we'll touch on Graven Birch in a bit, but I think that this is, it's gotten to the point for Sabitzer where he has recognized that this might not be the best fit for him. The club has even apparently recognized that. And they're going to evaluate things this summer from both sides. And it really wouldn't shock me at this point if Sabitzer moves on. What kind of would shock me is that any club is going to jump to pay 15 million euro for him. And that's not because he's a bad player or like that. I don't think he can rebound from this. It's that every other club has leverage now. Right. Uh, especially if Byron does secure Gravenberch, that would put Sabitzer as arguably the fifth player in the mix between those two central midfield positions. Uh, that just would be, would be really catastrophic for him personally. And I, and while I, I think he still has that quality and can be an impact player on a good team starting 11, this would be really bad for him. It would be bad for Bayern Munich, and it might be tough for them to unload him at the desired price tag that they are going to put on him. So we'll follow that one closely. Uh, I hate to to be like an I told you so kind of person, but I, I do kind of feel like this is something many people saw at the beginning. And while I was really excited about Sabitzer and what he could bring to the table, that that overarching doubt about how he would adapt, it really, I never got over it. I know there were plenty of people that never got over it. And I don't think anybody would really disparage him as a player, say he's not talented or anything like that, or even that he's wilted under the bright lights of the Allianz Arena. It's not that. It's just that he cannot he is not the type of player to accept being a backup. And I think that that has killed his form and killed his confidence. So we will keep our eyes on that one. And it will be certainly one that's interesting to follow as this all goes on. Finally, the fifth thing that we learned this week, and this is one that I don't know how popular my opinion is going to be on this one, but we learned that Bayern Munich is getting really close to a deal with Ajax for Ryan Gravenberch. This is one of those things I want to, I want to touch on because I just don't get it. Okay. I don't get a club that has some, some glaring needs right now 
looking to spend money on a player who might be your fourth best midfielder or your, I guess, fourth midfielder on the depth chart. I don't get it. And the latest reports say that Ajax wants 35 million euro for Great Birch. Okay. For a 19 year old player with his physical tool set being six foot three, being a strong player, you know, really projecting someone that could to, to be someone that could potentially be a destroyer type six, you know, okay. I get that the potential there could line up with that kind of fee. I totally do not get Bayern Munich even entertaining paying a fee anywhere near that because one, it's not a position in need right now. Right? Like, so Bayern Munich doesn't need a starting midfielder. And I feel like if you're going to pay upwards of 35 million euro, then this player for Bayern Munich needs to be a starter. Bayern is not in a position financially to go out and spend that type of cash. Right. And right now what we do know is that there is a gap between what Bayern is offering and what IX wants. The latest reports indicate that Bayern Munich is offering uh, 17 million euro guaranteed with about 8 million in add-ons that could bring the total package up to 25 million. So you like that math? Pretty smart, right? <laughs> the problem is that 10 million euro gap. Uh, IX wanting the 35, Bayern's package only measuring up to about 25. That's a problem. Like I don't even get entertaining a 25 million euro offer for Graham Birch. I just don't get it. Okay. And here's why. So you have Kimmich and you have Goretzka. Now I understand Goretzka has a pretty checkered injury history. And some people would probably say he's not been dependable over the past two or three seasons, just because he seems to always tack on these little nagging injuries, right? But Julian Nagelsmann has pushed Jamal Musiala back into that mix. And I think what we've seen from Musiala so far indicates that he can be that third midfielder, able to fill in for Kimmich, able to fill in for Goretzka, whether they're injured or whether they just need a blow. Either way, I think Musiala has proven that. Now, on the roster, you also have Quentin Toliso, who is likely to leave because he'll be a free transfer. You also have Mark Roca, who is also likely to leave, but it might be hard to sell him unless Bayern Munich uh, wants to take a loss because I don't know how much he would actually be worth given he's barely played since he's joined the club. Uh, so you have those two also kind of in the mix. Does not appear like Talisa will be back. Roca might not have a choice. You also have Paul Bonner, who I think the club has already stated they see as an eight long-term, but they'll consider playing him as a 10 right now. Listen, if you're Paul Bonner and you're Bayern Munich and you're looking for playing time, the 10 spot, even though there are two of them, not really, it's not really going to offer a ton of playing time. And I, that's why I'm a little confused about what Bayern is doing with its squad planning, what they're doing with their transfers, where the coaches and the squad planners line up. None of this makes sense to me. And it all goes back right now. We circle all this back to Gravenberch, right? So to bring him in and spend this kind of money, I would assume like to me, you're spending starter money on him if you're bringing him in at anywhere 25 to 35 million euro. He cannot be a player that's going to sit on the bench. Do I see him usurping a position from Kimmich or Goretzka? No, absolutely not. And do I see him being better than Jamal Musiala? No, I don't. So I don't get it. And right now, I don't understand this need that Bayern Munich feels that they have to go out and bring this kid in. And I understand the potential. And I understand there's also this other overarching theme for the club that they want to be a selling club. But 
if you bring in Graven Birch at 25 million or 35 million, how much is his value going to go up if he's not actually playing or if he's just getting bit appearances? And that's the one thing that Bayern Munich, in terms of becoming a selling club, I don't think that they put all this together to actually create value on these players. They have to play. And Bayern Munich doesn't seem like that mentality is going to overtake their desire to actually win games. Now, it might happen at other clubs where they might feel the need or feel the pressure to play certain players to increase their value so that they can sell them. I don't think Bayern Munich is going to need to do that. So I don't get where Gravenberg is going to come in and, and really assert himself into a role where he'll get consistent playing time unless there's a major injury. And guess what? If there's a major injury, that's not going to be good for Bayern Munich anyway. Uh, regardless, when you have Kimmich and you have Goretzka and you have Musiala, if they're going to be your top three, you still have this uncertain situation with Sabitzer. You have this uncertain situation with Broca. I, I don't get it. I don't understand why there's such a need to go out and spend this type of money on a, on a midfielder, even if he does have great potential. You know, when you also factor in that Bayern Munich is going to enter next season playing a back three and they don't have a right wing back, that's a problem too. They need money to go out and get a good right wing back. And that has also kind of been one of the themes for this second half of the season that Bayern Munich has been linked to about half a dozen players that could fill that profile, whether they are natural right backs or they're currently playing right wing back. But getting those players is also not going to be easy because they're not cheap. Bayern Munich wants to buy off the discount rack, but in reality, they're looking at the front of the catalog, right? Like they're looking at all the high price stuff. So this is, this is absolutely an issue. And it's going to be something that the club is going to have to battle because you have that right back situation or right wing back. You have the, the fact that the club looks like it wants to bring in another center back to help replace Nicholas Sula. And with that, that they're, they're going to have to spend some money as well, whether that's on a transfer fee or if they get a free transfer, whether it's on the player's salary, um, you know, whatever the case, they're going to have to put money up for that. Now, if you want me to throw the tinfoil hat on again, and I'm more than happy to always do that, you could put together a theory that Bayern Munich is willing to go out and pay this much for Graven Birch because they already know that they're going to sign Gladbach's Matthias Ginter uh, on a free transfer and pay him about 8 million euro per season, which would be pretty good value for a veteran uh, at his age with his versatility. And with the, you know, the factor that you wouldn't pay a transfer fee for him, you might have some extra funds to throw toward a younger uh, prospect for your midfield, right? So tinfoil hat theory, they're going to sign Ginter. They're going to take the money they would have spent on a center back and apply that to what they're going to offer on Gravenberch. But still you have, the open situation for a right wing back. You have the uncertain future of Robert Lewandowski sitting atop your formation. And if Lewandowski ultimately decides he wants to go, that throws every single plan out the window because Bayern Munich would have to scramble and, and put together a plan to somehow replace him. How do you replace the irreplaceable? I, I don't know. I don't know if even irreplaceable is a word at this point. I might be making things up because I'm not too many cups of coffee deep right now. So excuse me if, <laughs> if I just start making words up. Either way, this Gravenberg situation, I understand what the club's thinking. I understand why they might target a player like that. 
a player that has a huge ceiling for growth who could become a good player. I just don't know that he would get that many opportunities with Bayern Munich at this point to make it really all that worthwhile. I'm, I'm against the move right now. I'll, I'll, that'll be my official stance. Doesn't mean that Graven Birch is not going to be a good player. Doesn't mean that he won't develop into a starter at some point. I just think with the club's current financial situation, it's not a position of need right now. It's not the type of move that you want to go out and make if you're really pinching pennies. So uh, I'm hoping something falls through or that Juventus swoops in and this all becomes a non-issue uh, just because I just don't think it's the right move right now. But hey, Brazo, Oliver Kahn, Herbert Heiner, they all know a lot more than I do. So we'll see what happens in the future. But if things continue to go down this path, I'm just not sure it's the right move for Bayern Munich. And it might not be the right move for Gravenberg himself, as this is a young kid who needs to be on the pitch, right? You, you need to play. That's where I, I do worry about a player like Paul Vonner, who is not going to get that many opportunities with Bayern Munich. And how can he develop as a first team player if he's never on the pitch with the first team during games? So that will about wrap it up for this week. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this international break and seeing how Germany plays. Uh, it does present some, you know, while these games don't mean anything and it's Israel and, and the Netherlands, uh, you know, I, I don't think you learn a lot from, uh, playing the Israelis, I think that you, you definitely see something with playing the Dutch, but so many players out and not unavailable for Germany. I don't know what we're going to see from Hansi Flick's squad, but hey, these games are interesting. It gives us something to watch while Bayern Munich is, is not playing. Uh, the important part of all this news is that Bayern is getting healthy, so that's a great thing. And for all of you that will be uh, either checking out the games or just taking this weekend off from footy, uh, enjoy yourselves. Have a couple of beers on me. Uh, I'm buying virtually, right? <laughs> so uh, enjoy yourselves. And as always, we appreciate uh, your support here at BFW, every download of our podcasts and all of the uh, views that you guys give us on the site. We appreciate those and all of your interactions on BavarianFootballWorks.com. As always, you can get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get ID No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Tom at TommyAdams71. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can get Schnitzel and Samarin on our site with the pieces that they write. And you can always hit our main account at BavarianFBWorks up. Uh, Tom does an excellent job always working on that account. He's always got creative stuff, funny jokes, at least stuff that I think is funny. And lately his comments on the, uh, on the food at stadiums have really, uh, have really cracked me up. So uh, appreciate all that he brings to the table with our social media platforms. Uh, have a great weekend and we will see you next time.